From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. This broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that will give us insights into the various aspects of our Lord's temporal ministry, from His teaching and miracles to His atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled, Hunger Satisfied. The text is Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. It is well to have longings, and the more intense they are, the better. The Lord will satisfy soul longings, however great and all-absorbing they may be. Let us greatly long, for God will greatly give. We are never in a right state of mind when we are contented with ourselves and are free from longings. Desires for more grace and groanings which cannot be uttered are growing pains, and we should wish to feel them more and more. Blessed Spirit, Make us sigh and cry after better things, and for more of the best things. Hunger is by no means a pleasant sensation. Yet blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Such persons shall not only have their hunger relieved with a little food, but they shall be filled. They shall not be filled with any sort of rough stuff, but their diet shall be worthy of their good Lord, for they shall be filled with goodness by Jehovah himself. Come, let us not fret because we long and hunger, but let us hear the voice of the psalmist as he also longs and hungers to see God magnified. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Thank you. 
If anything is obvious in this modern society, it is that people are confused, frightened, and uncertain about the future. Where does one look for the solution to the universal problems of guilt, doubt, and temptation? A number of years ago, Dr. Alan Cairns produced a booklet entitled A New Beginning, which deals with such questions as, How may I have my sins forgiven and my guilt removed? How may I be sure that I possess eternal life and that I am not deluding myself? And how may I enjoy the Christian life and live above constant failure and frustration? Dr. Cairns answers these questions from the Word of God. A new beginning is for inquirers into the nature of the Christian message of salvation and for Christians desiring to gain a good grasp of the first principles of the gospel. It is useful for both personal use and for group study and discussion. For a free copy of A New Beginning, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of A New Beginning, and we'll be happy to provide it. On this edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns commences the second portion of a two-part message entitled The Unknown Christ Revealing Himself at an Unknown Feast. John chapter 5 contains the account of Christ healing an impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. It is uncertain as to which feast was being observed, nor did the man have any idea of who had healed him. Yet, as Dr. Cairns will demonstrate, this chapter contains one of the greatest revelations of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three events in the chapter through which Christ revealed his glory. The first is his healings. His restoring the impotent man revealed his compassion as well as his omniscience and omnipotence, for only God could do what Christ did for this man. Now Dr. Cairns introduces the second message on the theme the unknown Christ revealing himself at an unknown feast. Returning again this morning to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John as we continue with our studies in the life of Christ. Now, we were in this passage 
Last week we dealt with this in an abbreviated fashion, and I want us to return today to this fifth chapter of John. John chapter 5 is one of the most significant chapters in all the Word of God. So please do read it and pay very careful and close attention to it. In this chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us the most detailed explanation, exposition, and indeed revelation of his person that you will find anywhere in the New Testament, or indeed anywhere in Scripture. What makes this outstanding is first that, for the most part, he is giving this revelation not to his disciples in the closeness, say, of the inner circle. You find in uh, later in John, from John 13 onwards, you've got a wonderful self-revelation of Christ to his disciples. But here this is mostly given to people who were his enemies. And secondly, it is amazing to find that in a chapter that emphasizes Christ disclosing himself in a unique way, we have constant reminders of the fact that he was not recognized. He was not known. He was among a people who were blind. If ever the words of John the Baptist were fulfilled, you'll find them fulfilled in this chapter. There standeth one among you whom ye know not, and indeed one among them whom they really had little or no heart to know. So as I pointed out last Sabbath morning, the subject of this chapter, quite simply, is the unknown Christ revealing himself at an unnamed feast. I'm not going to get into the unnamed feast again this morning and the importance of uh, trying to discover which feast it was. We're not going to return to that. But at this unnamed feast... The unknown Christ revealed himself in a wonderful way. There are three closely related events in this chapter. Through them, the Lord Jesus reveals his glory, his person, and some aspects of his work. The first we will notice is the healing that he performed. Again, we have looked at this somewhat already. But let me remind you that this was a wonderful miracle. Now, you'd have to say of every miracle, it's a wonderful miracle. But this is a miracle that stands out in some ways as unique in the New Testament. The circumstances of this miracle have no parallel anywhere else in the ministry of Christ, and certainly not in the ministry of the apostles. When you read this miracle of the Lord Jesus coming to this man who was sitting at the pool of Bethesda, he had been ill. You would imagine by the wording here that he was either paralyzed or heavily handicapped physically. Certainly his movements were vastly restricted. He had been in this case 38 years. Now don't read that too quickly. Unless the Lord has got into a man's heart and life and given him special grace, this man 
must have been in a place of absolute dejection. Have you ever seen somebody paralyzed for 38 years? Needing to be lifted and led? Have you ever talked to somebody like that? I have. I remember very well my dad in his old age went into what you would hear call a veteran's hospital for a few weeks to give him a place while his, the internals of his house were all being renovated. Being old and perverse and most of all being Cairns, when he got there he liked it so much he wouldn't go back home. It's much better here, more people to do what I want here. It was a very old hospital, but a very good one. A large ward, about 30 ex-servicemen, mostly from the First World War. But as you came in the door, the first or second bed, there was a man, now an old man. He was a, Norme a Norwegian, if I remember rightly, certainly Scandinavian. Spoke with a very, very, very thick accent. Just after World War II, he was in a shipping disaster. He was pulled out of the water more dead than alive. And since Belfast was the nearest port, they took him in. And there he lay, and this was 37 years later. Paralyzed. The wonderful thing is, God saved that man. And there was no bitterness. There was no frustration. There was no anger. And through the thick Norwegian accent, he did his best from that bed to witness for Christ. But I want to tell you, as I looked at that man and thought of him, a young man, now an old man, without the special grace of God, your spirit would be broken. Don't read these 38 years too glibly. The man that was lying here was hopeless. This was the only place he could expect anything good to happen to him. But it couldn't. Because when the waters were stirred, he didn't have a single friend to be with him. So not only sick, not only paralyzed, but friendless and hopeless. And the Lord Jesus comes with the strangest sounding question ever he could have heard. Certainly one that he didn't expect anybody to ask him. Man, are you willing to be made whole? The Lord Jesus not only asked the question, but he gave the miracle. And what a miracle. Because by his own word... By the sheer power of his own will and word, he commands him to 
rise and take up his bed and walk, and immediately the man was made whole. Let me emphasize to you that this is not a pious story. Let me emphasize to you that this is not some parable. This is not some sound, good religious myth to uh, get over to us some spiritual truth. It bears spiritual truth because this is historical reality. There was a day when the Son of God manifested in the flesh, actually came to the five porches of the pool of Bethesda, spied this man, spoke to this man, commanded his healing, and immediately he was made whole. Immediately he was made whole. What a miracle. It demonstrates the compassion of Christ. Who has a heart for the helpless and the hopeless like the heart of Jesus? I would to God we had. I don't want to get off on a tangent because I have a long way to go this morning. But I do need us to get beyond merely intellectualizing the Word of God and saying, nodding our heads at the right places, we believe it and we're orthodox. Well, hell is orthodox. There's no heretics in hell. They were heretics on earth probably, but not now in hell. They all believe the truth. There's nobody more orthodox than the devil himself. The Scripture tells us he believes and trembles. It's not just being orthodox enough to nod our heads at the right places. We're looking here at a Savior who had a heart for the poor and the weary and the lost and the hopeless and the helpless and the sinners and the needy. He had compassion. He loved them. His heart overflowed toward them. He did not harden his heart. And what's more, nobody in the history of the world believed more and knew more of the doctrine and the truth of God's predestinating, electing, decreeing purpose, but he never hid behind that as an excuse not to have a passion for the poor and the needy. God help us reformed, Calvinistic, Bible-believing Protestants who have all our T's crossed and our I's dotted we're intellectual nitwits, but we think we know a lot. We hide behind the decrees of God to cover a filthy, hard heart. May God forgive us. I read the stories of some of the old Methodist preachers. And their theology left a lot to be desired in places, though they held to the heart of the gospel. And when I read them, I say, I would to God I had what those men had. We have sung the hymn, Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. But when do we weep o'er the erring? When does our heart break over the weak and the hopeless and the helpless? We can look at them and dismiss them. It's all their fault. Well, sure, it's all their fault. 
just as your sin's all your fault. But if God dealt with us as we deal with them, we would already be in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ shows his compassion. And he shows his omniscience. He knew all about this man. Not only that he had been 38 years in this case, but he knew why he was there. And after he had healed him, he could put his finger on what this man thought nobody, and certainly not this stranger in his presence, would know anything about. He says, go and sin no more. And in that word, just as he had done with the woman at the well, he stripped back all the facade, and he went straight to the heart. He knew him inside out. The omniscience of the Savior. And the omnipotence as he spoke, and it was done. This work of Christ, the omniscient, kind, and loving Savior, this work of Christ, this miracle, demonstrated who he really was. This is what he had in mind when he challenged the Jews. If you go on down the chapter in verse 36, he says, I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, witness of me that the Father hath sent me. This is a challenge to the Jews. He's saying, look, you have seen this man. Many of them had actually witnessed him, no doubt. They couldn't have gone in and out at the sheep gate without seeing this man lying in one of the porches, in one of the porticos. They saw his hopeless state. Now they saw him with carrying his mattress and walking as well as they could walk. They knew that Christ had done an inexplicable work, a great work. And the Lord Jesus is saying, there is the work. This work witnesses of me. What I have done in this man's life is a living, powerful testimony to who I am. This is the witness of heaven to me. I haven't time to trace this in other parts of the Gospels. You'll find it, for example, in John chapter 10, verses 25 and 38. The Lord Jesus takes up the same theme where you have the witness of his works. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, you find that the apostles are emphasizing the very same thing, that the works are the proof of who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And so powerful was that argument that even Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, could come to the Lord Jesus, John chapter 3, verse 2, and he spoke not only for himself, But he gave the game away as far as the leading Jews were concerned. They always pretended that they, from their lofty perch of knowing the law of God and all that it demanded, they could dismiss the claims of Christ. They never let the people know what was going on in their heart. But Nicodemus told the truth and they said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We know.
You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. 